is interesting. I'm Kira Lindenberg. And I'm Kira Kleenberg. And we're here in studio with one of our favorite science adventurers, Emily Gilliland, to do part two in our duet about black holes. Good morning, ladies. Hey, we're so glad you're here. I'm so excited to be here. I am so thrilled to be here as part of your science adventure around black holes. Yes, you're (laughs) the best science adventurer. Well, last week, we discovered one of the most dramatic ways a black hole can form. We traversed the edges of Einstein's theory of relativity and explored how we know that black holes even exist at all. If you missed that episode, it's available on everythingisinteresting.org and everywhere that podcasts live. Today, we'll find out what a black hole does to things around it and what might happen to you if you traveled into one. And also why black holes may lead us to the great unified theory of everything. I'm so excited that I'm going to learn what happens if I travel into a black hole because that is so possible. (laughs) Now, thinking back, if I remember correctly from the last episode, a black hole is the ghost of a dead massive star Mm -hmm. that has been ultra compressed until it is infinitely tiny. Tiny. And it's put a super deep dent in the fabric of space time, mm-hmm. which is the version of reality that includes the three dimensions of space and the fourth dimension of time. Well, you don't even have to do this episode. You just got it. <laughs> She's teaching us. No, there's more. There's more. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, we sure did talk about all of that. Uh, but don't worry. If you didn't catch the last show, you still should be able to follow along with us today. Okay. So what I'm curious about now is what does a black hole do to other stuff in space. Okay. Well, let's first think about what happens to things that are in proximity to a black hole but are still a good distance away. So, for example, the planets in our solar system, the distance they are from the sun. So, to do this, imagine that our own sun just, boom, suddenly collapsed into a black hole. What would happen? Well, my first inclination would be to think, oh my goodness, all the planets are doomed. Not so, actually. If we assume that the sun magically turns into a black hole with no cataclysmic supernova explosion to precede it, then the planets would actually just kind of hang out in orbit as usual, which is weird. Wait, wait. So why wouldn't the black hole affect them? Well, the strength of an object's gravity is dependent on its mass, which is like how much stuff it's made up of. And despite its super condensed shape, since the black hole still essentially has the same mass as the star that it came from, it also has a similar gravitational strength, at least at a distance. So there would be no reason for the orbits of the planets to change, because the gravity of the black hole sun would be pretty close to that of the original sun. I can't believe you're going to say that and you're not going to make a sound garden joke. (laughs) I can't think of. That is until the black hole starts absorbing passing matter, which causes it to increase in both uh, mass and gravitational strength. Then the black hole's influence would grow and eventually affect the faraway planets. But we're not going to get into that today because we only have 20 minutes. Yeah, that would get crazy. Okay, so at a distance, what you're saying, I can safely orbit around a black hole and not really worry about falling in? In theory, yes. But let's say I do want to get close, very close. What would happen to me 
if I get sucked into it. Uh, this is what you wanted to know because this is what is possible, right? Exactly. <laughs> the things you think about before you sleep at night. Well, first off, you wouldn't have to worry about getting sucked into a black hole because black holes don't suck. They don't suck, man. We tend to think of them as interstellar vacuum tubes that pull the unlucky passerbys into their snare. But actually, it's more like the world's deepest gopher hole. The issue is not that you're going to get sucked in from far away. It's that if you fell in, you'd never be able to get out. And then the gophers would get you. But here's where we're going to get kind of abstract. This metaphorical gopher hole is actually a hole in the very fabric of space-time. Wait, space-time? What? Yeah, okay. Try thinking of space-time as a perfectly smooth sheet a fluffy frosting. Got that? Stretching out Delicious. over infinity. Right? Delicious. Got it? Okay. Any object you place in that frosting creates a curve or a divot right in the spot where the object is. So now imagine compressing a star, again, let's say the sun, into the space-time frosting. All the mass of that giant star is suddenly pressing down onto one tiny spot in the frosting. As the sun becomes more and more compressed, that divot in the frosting deepens and narrows until it is so deep that it punches a hole straight through the sheet of frosting. Kapow! A black hole. It doesn't go kapow. And you don't get sucked into a hole. You fall into a hole. But wait, it's not a literal hole. It's it's not a tube-shaped hole, right? No, it's not. And also, I think it does go kapow. <laughs> anyway, just it should. A, just one sun exploding's gotta make. Oh no, there's no sound in space. Oh, <sighs> I just negated my own thought. Okay, just as space time isn't a literal sheet of frosting, a, a black hole is not a literal hole. If you could see it, a black hole would kind of look like a three-dimensional sphere because space time isn't flat. Right. And just as the gravity of our Earth, which is spherical, causes things to fall towards the center of it from sort of all points on the surface, the gravity of a black hole, too, would draw things in from all angles. So if I got close enough, I would inevitably fall in. Yes, pretty much. So what if I did? What would happen? You would never be seen or heard from again. Brutal. No social media? No. Not even Twitter. <laughs> well, no one's tested uh. that theory. So. <laughs> yeah, you don't get to document, like painstakingly document your trip into the black hole. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. No one will know. Oh, it's, just, it. it's just your own That's personal good. experience. Now, this is a good lesson because, you know, there's all those signs now that are like, if there's an earthquake, if there's a fire, like get out of the building before you tweet about it. Like, this is a good lesson. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, get out of the black hole before you tweet about it. Okay. You see, anything within a black hole can no longer be observed by those of us outside the black hole with any conceivable technology. Any matter or objects falling into the black hole crosses what is called the event horizon, which you can think of as the edge of that hole in space-time frosting that we talked about earlier. That's the point at which the black hole's gravity becomes so strong that even light, the fastest moving stuff in the universe, can't escape its pull. That is also actually why we can't see a black hole. Oh, because you can't see things that don't emit light. And a black hole hoards light. Mm -hmm. It doesn't give it off. Yeah. No light handouts from a black hole. No. Yeah, it's very it's a self stingy black hole. <laughs> very selfish. <laughs> yeah. In a black hole, all light and all traditional radiation gets swallowed up and none of it ever comes back out. So if I fall into a black hole, you guys out there in the observable universe can't see me anymore. Nope. But what do I see? What will I encounter past that event horizon? Okay. Well, quick caveat. Everything we talk about from this point on is totally theory. Totally. Since, as we just said, you can't see anything past the event horizon. We can't gather observational or experimental data to help us understand what happens there. I figured as much. 
But what we are about to share with you is not just a bunch of hoo-ha speculation either. The good news is that even without observable evidence, we are still able to use the known laws of physics to predict what we should expect to happen inside a black hole. This this idea is applied in the way that we study a lot of subjects. Like, for example, we can't directly sample the inside of the sun, but we can calculate what's going on in there based on what we observe from the outside. The wavelength of the light coming from the sun sort of tells us something about what kind of gases must be burning there, which in turn tells us something about how hot the sun must be and so on and so forth. Hooray for indirect detection. Okay, so all right. So now that we've disclosed that this is all theory, here's what we would predict would happen if you jumped feet first past the event horizon and into a black hole. Exciting. So if the black hole is big enough we are talking enormous, then you might not even feel any different as you cross the event horizon and fell into it. Which is crazy, right? You just you would just fall. You would just be like, oh, mm-hmm. like, look, I'm just I'm still going. And you'd actually be in free fall. Because you're in space. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's funny. Einstein, thinking about this idea, said that it was his happiest thought. It does sound happy. Just being in free fall. Whee. Forever. <laughs> dun, not dun, forever. Dun. Not forever. You would eventually hit the bottom. But we'll talk about that later. Okay. Isn't that like a Tom Petty song to free fall or something? Until you hit the bottom of the black hole. Uh, Yeah, I guess. (laughs) But as you continue to fall towards the center of the black hole, the stronger you would feel its gravitational pull, and therefore the faster your body would begin to fall. In fact, because you jumped feet first, your feet would be a tiny bit closer to the center, and gravity would act on them a tiny bit more. So they would start to move faster than your head your body would end up getting stretched more and more, a process known as spaghettification or the noodle effect. I just have to say that Kira really wanted to say that on air. She's very excited. Oh, yeah. She tried to take this part out, and I was like, no, no, no. We're not doing a show about black Wait, holes without saying the real... word spaghettification. Is this real? Oh, yeah. Real. You didn't oh. just make this up? No, nope. I didn't even make up the noodle effect, although it is something I would make up. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. This is, no, it's really what happens because your feet are moving so much faster than your head. You honestly would stretch into a, a noodle of a spaghetti. Noodle. I mean, you'd be dead, you'd but. Good with marinara. Anyways, okay, here's where it gets really weird. I mean, it's been weird, but it's getting really weird. Turning into a noodle. Let's say you had a friend who opted to stay behind and just watch you as you fell. Great friend. So, from your perspective, you are going to complete your fall and end up inside the black hole. Hooray! Spaghettification or hitting the bottom or whatever happens. But from your friend's point of view, you would never actually make it to the black hole. You would never fall in. Instead, you would just appear to freeze on the edge of the event horizon and never travel any further, ever. Ever? Ever. By the way, if you're just joining us, this is Everything is Interesting. I'm Kira Lindenberg. And I'm Kira Klingenberg. And we're here with... Emily Gilliland. Yay! In part two of a double episode about black holes, how do they affect things around them and what happens when you fall into one? If you fall into a black hole, an observer watching you would see you freeze on the event horizon forever and never, ever move again. As insane as this sounds, it really makes sense when you think about Einstein's theory of general relativity, which I'm sure you do all the time, because it states that time passes differently depending on the speed you're moving. So to you, who is speeding faster and faster and faster towards the center of an extremely deep divot in the fabric of space-time, the black hole, time will seem to pass as normal. But to a stationary observer, you will appear to move more and more slowly towards the black hole until you're moving so infinitesimally slowly that they'll never see you move again. Wait, what? What would time? Why would time pass differently? This is so confusing. Okay. 
Here is a thought experiment that might help it make a little bit more sense. Might being the, <laughs> the key word there. All right, let's pretend, Emily, using your powers of imagination. You have a clock. And it's a special clock that actually is made of two mirrors. They're aligned and they're facing each other. One pointed up and one pointed down. Good so far? Good so far. Okay. For the sake of simplicity, let's say that light moves at the speed of one foot per second and the mirrors are exactly one foot apart. So this clock records a single second as the time it takes for a photon, this particle of light, to bounce the one foot from one mirror to the other. And it just keeps bouncing back and forth. And the time it takes for this photon to bounce back and forth will never change because we know that the speed of light is constant. Thanks, Einstein. Now imagine that you're floating in space with your clock and also with your really cool friend, Kira. Wait, both Kiras? Doesn't matter, both. I mean, either. No, it would have to be both. You know why? Because we're quantumly entangled. Oh, we're like the antiparticle and particles. Is that? No, antimatter and matter. (laughs) Okay, well, but the important thing is we're out there with you in space, and we also have one of those special mirror clocks that's exactly the same as yours. Okay, so now you, Emily, start to speed away from Kira and I at a constant speed of one foot per second. So you're moving horizontally away from us. So you and your clock moving away from us means that from our perspective, that photon that's bouncing around inside your clock no longer just has to travel up and down to reach the mirrors. We're watching your clock speed away from us horizontally through space, also at the rate of one foot per second. That means that to bounce from the bottom mirror to the top, your photon has to go one foot up and one foot over. Because it's moving up and over at the same time, we, Kira and I, see the photon traveling diagonally through space at roughly one and a half feet per second. Does this make sense so far? I'm trying real hard. (laughs) (laughs) So think for a second about how weird that is. I'm seeing your photon's path elongate. But to you, who's holding the clock, nothing has changed. Right, your, your clock and you are moving the same speed, so at, from your perspective, that photon is still just going up and down, no horizontal travel, right? Right. And it's traveling at its normal rate, which is one foot per second. Now, this is not an illusion. We are actually experiencing time differently than you are. If we, the Kiras, compare our clock to yours, each bounce of the photon on your clock is taking longer than one bounce on our clock. So our photon can bounce one and a half times by the time your photon has only bounced once. So now let's say that you, Emily, in order to impress us with your space skills... Because you have great space skills. <laughs> that's what I always say about Emily. Do your best zero-gravity somersault. That action, as measured by your clock, takes 10 photon bounces. But by our clock, that same somersault takes 15 photon bounces. So to us, you are somersaulting in slow motion. I think I got it. I think I got it. Kind of picturing it? Okay. Mm -hmm. But it's not because you're going slower. We just have to say this. It's because time itself, as a dimension, has been distorted. This is super weird, but it's how reality works. In fact, if you were to come back to that same point at which you left us after several years of your speedy spaceflight, we will literally have aged more than you have because time moved faster for us than for you. So then, if on my journey I fell into a black hole, you'd see me freeze on the event horizon. Yeah, because as you approach the hole, you'd be accelerating, moving faster and faster. And the faster you go, the longer that photon has to go horizontally between each bounce. So at some point, you would be moving so fast, you and your clock, that to us watching you, the horizontal distance 
The photon would have to travel between bounces would be so incredibly long that we'd never actually see it happen. The difference at which you are experiencing time would be so great that we'd never see you move again. And you would just appear to stop. Yeah. To us, you would appear to freeze forever. Hmm. But again, to you, who's falling, time would progress as normal. And so you would cross the event horizon, continue your fall, and eventually reach what is maybe the most exciting place in the universe, the center of a black hole. Ooh, aren't you excited? I'm so excited. I, was, I don't know. I was, what really, I was really expecting some sort of, <laughs> just reaching the center. Once there, you would find something very strange, the singularity. Once you're inside a black hole, you cannot avoid the singularity and you cannot turn back. It is inevitable. So wait, there's nothing I can do to avoid it? What if I was in a really powerful rocket ship and I fired my engines full blast away from the singularity? It would have no effect because the singularity is not a point in space at all. It's (gasps) an unavoidable point in time. Wait, what? It's an unavoidable point in time. I can't say that enough. It's so weird. And it's tricky to explain. But the singularity exists only in the dimension of time not in space. Being at the center of a black hole, the singularity is infinitely dense and infinitely small because remember, an exploding star fell in on itself, so all that mass of the star is in this tiny, infinitely small place. Essentially, it no longer exists in three-dimensional space. It has no space dimensions. But general relativity does tell us that reality is not just made of space, it's space-time. And space-time has that fourth dimension, which is time. So... By logic, when the singularity ceases to exist in the three dimensions of space, then the only place it can be is... In, in time? In time! Yeah. That's the only I'm getting place. It, I'm getting it. The, yes. only, the only way that this makes sense to me, because I can't picture space-time as a... I mean, I guess I can picture it as, you know, frosting, but I can't picture it as anything real, is that even if you think about your experience as a human, even if you can't see the singularity because it has no space dimensions, it would still be existing right now. And also right now, and also right now, and also right now, which means it's existing in the time dimension. Anyway, whatever you do in three-dimensional space to, like, fire your rockets or whatever, you can't avoid this point in time. Right. It's like like you were just saying. So try imagining a point of time that's more familiar. So imagine tomorrow, right? We all know what tomorrow is. Well, can you avoid tomorrow? You can't, right? At least I can't. Maybe you guys are time travelers. I've never but, tried. Yeah. But you, well, you can't. For the sake of this argument, you cannot avoid tomorrow. It's going to come. So even if you jump in a plane and fly off in any direction you want, you're not going to fly away from tomorrow. The singularity isn't a place you can go in space, but a place in time that happens. Oh, I think my brain is breaking. Oh, welcome to our world. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even have a brain. It broke so much <laughs> studying this stuff. Whew. And, and it's no wonder, too, because it's actually here at the singularity, at the center of a black hole, that Einstein's laws of general relativity also start to break. And where we turn instead to quantum physics. Quantum physics accurately explains how things work on a really tiny scale, waves smaller than even atoms, the quantum scale. Weirdly, though... Quantum physics and the laws of general relativity both do a great job of explaining the universe, but only as long as they ignore one another. In a way, that means they are both partly correct, but neither is complete. So that tells us that there must be a larger, more complete theory that we haven't quite defined the rules to yet. 
So like the theory of everything. Yeah. Yes. The toe. The holy grail of physics. Mm-hmm. Black holes and the singularities that lie within them may be the key in finding this unified theory and ushering the next era of fundamental physics. Because they are the place that no known theory can fully define, general relativity can't explain them, and quantum has only just begun to scratch the surface. There is clearly a much deeper, more complete framework that describes the behavior of the universe, one that we just haven't found yet. The great quantum physicists Stephen Hawking and Roger Penrose have been studying the nature of black holes since the late 1960s, and they're at the forefront of our understanding of their nature. They say that black holes are a great place to think about where we should go to move beyond our existing knowledge, and pushing the boundaries of what we know means accepting what we don't know. There is a certain beauty in not knowing, as Professor Jerome Gauntlet puts it, as he talks about the nature of progress in theoretical physics. This is a quote from one of his lectures. One doesn't necessarily have the big picture and the complete picture, and there can be troubling aspects in your understanding. But it is the creative act to be able to pierce through that void and come through and create some new body of knowledge, even though you have at the back of your mind some deep reservations that this is not the final story and that things will change. Wow. I mean, I definitely feel like there's so much I don't know right <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Me too. The mysteries of the universe are crazy dense. Yep. But I also feel like I learned a lot. Thank you, yeah. too. <laughs> if you don't feel both smart and like your brain is broken by the end of this episode, then you weren't listening. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, believe it or not, we, like, just scratched the surface. If you'd like to get more in-depth about this, I recommend the book What is Relativity by Jeffrey Bennett. It helped us a lot when we were working on this show. And that lecture that we got that quote from by Professor Jerome Gauntlet, it's called Black Holes and the Fundamental Laws of Physics, and it's available on the YouTube channel of the Royal Institute. I've actually watched it at least 10 times already, and I think he presents the information pretty well. Uh, thank you so much, Emily, for coming along with us on this crazy journey through time and space. Thank you two so much. You are absolutely amazing. You do make everything interesting. Thank oh, you. thank you. Because we make everything into a big sheet of frosting. And I hope that you report back once you do end up in a black hole, since that seems to be yeah. <laughs> where you're Please do. Please do, yeah. I'll we'll be talk. tweeting. Yeah, at least until you hit the event horizon, and then mm, all bets are off. For now, I'm Kira Klingenberg. And I'm Kira Lindenberg. Thanks for listening to Everything is Interesting, right here on X-Ray FM, where radio is yours. not knowing, as 
I don't know how to say this word. Professor? (laughs) 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 Sorry, I'm assuming it's Gauntlet. Uh, Yeah. Gauntlet, okay. She watched a video on him, but I didn't hear (laughs) How do you say professor? I'm sorry. Uh, that's a new one. I hope We're we have tired. a place for outtakes because. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Okay. <clears throat> I don't know if I could not laugh. Hmm. 